The theme for this year, Come Holy Spirit, this theme is revealed at the New Year's Eve service every year. And um, just a quick show of hands. Who was at the New Year's Eve service? All. Not bad, not bad. There was way less in the first service, actually. And so this is one of my favorite services of the year. I think my favorite services are New Year's Eve service and baptism. And I know, you know, we have different reasons for why we can't make it, but something I just really enjoy is starting the new year with God. I feel like it's just the best way to start. It's such a meaningful service, and the theme is, you know, revealed, and then we launch into the the fast, and you're just ready to go. It's my favorite service. But, you know, every year at this service, I was just a little bit disappointed because we would always miss the countdown without fail. And so, you know, everyone, you can see, it's like everyone's got their watches, their their phones. We can see the the time, like, and we're like, what's Pastor Sam doing? And then, of course, it misses, and he finally realizes because he's, like, just so flowing in the message. And then he's, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let, let's, happy new year. Turn to your neighbor. Hey, good looking. Say happy new year. And you're like, oh, happy new year. It's like, all right, let's get back to the message. So over the years, I've learned to manage my expectations and my heart. And I'm like, it's not about the countdown. I know it's about the countdown. Like everyone, new year's, you're just waiting for that countdown, right? You're just enjoying until that countdown. That's the moment. And so I had to manage my expectations. It's not about the countdown. I'm just going to be in it, in the message. But I want to share with you, this year, for the first time, we did the countdown. And you know what the secret is? We just had to start an hour earlier. (laughs) And so now I can really encourage you, come to the service, do the countdown together with us. And, uh, During this New Year's Eve message, P. Sam, he said something that really stuck with me. He asked us, do you have the Holy Spirit or does the Holy Spirit have you? Do you have the Holy Spirit or does the Holy Spirit have you? Should be a slide. And so let... Let that just kind of sink in. Like, what does that mean? What are the differences in these two statements? And so, do you have the Holy Spirit? Well, let me tell you, if you identify as a Christian, and by that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? You you recognize he died on the cross for our sins. He resurrected on the third day. Basically, everything we, we, we speak about in the Apostles' Creed, right? If you believe that, then you have the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. Ephesians 1.13, it's written, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so you have the Holy Spirit. So whether you're a brand new Christian, I don't know, maybe you gave your life to the Lord this morning, or maybe during worship, or you're a veteran Christian. You've been a Christian for many years. You're a pastor. You're a worship leader. You're a house church leader. We're all the same in the sense we're all sinners saved by grace, and you have the Holy Spirit. 
So, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes. Come on. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes. It's, it's, it's just a clear yes. Now, does the Holy Spirit have you? I don't know. Is it that clear? What does that mean? Does the Holy Spirit have you? Is the Holy Spirit in charge of your life? Is the Holy Spirit leading your life, your family, your job, your decisions? Or are you in charge? Who's in charge? We're going to play the video. You turn to the screen. It's just to kind of really hit home this point. Who's in charge? Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. (laughs) Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. (laughs) Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to go with me? No. (laughs) No? Why? Uh, What I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, So let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. (laughs) Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, There's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay. Okay. So, let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. Okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but, um, see, you you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh. Well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. Ooh, I know, it got really serious, right? But yes, even not making a choice is a choice. Does the Holy Spirit have you? Who's in charge? And so the title of the message today is who's in charge? Who's in charge? The verse for today comes from Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. We're going to read it in the message. It'll be up in the screen. And then this, while Joshua was there near Jericho, he looked up and saw right in front of him a man standing, holding his drawn sword. Joshua stepped up to him and said, whose side are you on? Ours or our enemies? He said, neither. I'm commander of God's army. I've just arrived. Joshua fell face to the ground and worshipped. He asked, what orders does my master have for his servant? God's army commander ordered Joshua, take your sandals off your feet. The place you are standing is holy. Joshua did it. Let's pray. Yes, Jesus, we we give thanks for this day, for the worship, for this time that we get to come together 
to worship you, to hear your word, Lord. We pray for open hearts. Do what you will, Lord. You're in charge. This is your service. And Lord, this is your message. And so would you just even use me to speak your word, to convey your truth and your heart. And without you in it, they're just words. They're just sounds. And so, Lord, I ask you to come and just use me to help deliver your word, God, today. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to give you a quick recap of Joshua up to this point in the verse, chapter 5. So in chapter 1, the chapter begins in Joshua 1. God speaks to Joshua and says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. In other words, it's a new season, right? Moses is dead, and now, Joshua, it's time for you to rise up, to lead your people into battle, to receive the promised land that I'm going to give you. And then God goes on to say, to encourage him, because this is a tall task. This is a big deal. They've been wandering for 40 years. And he says to him, Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. And so let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Be strong and courageous. In fact, God says be strong and courageous three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so then in chapter 2, Joshua sends out spies, just as Moses did, to, to, to kind of, I guess, get surveillance on the land. And so he sends spies to, to Jericho. And so the spies go, and what's amazing is that when the spies go, a woman by the name of Rahab receives them and takes care of them and protects them and, and makes a deal with the Israelites. All to say, God has a plan. His reach is touching not just the Israelites, but even in Jericho, in the lands that they're going to take. God is moving in this space. And so in chapter 3, in order to get to Jericho, they must cross the Jordan River. And in order to do that, something special happens. If you recall in the Exodus, when they're fleeing out of Egypt, they must cross the Red Sea. Anyone seen The Prince of Egypt, the animated movie? Okay, you guys should watch it. It's so good. So in this animated movie... It shows what happens at the Red Sea. And so Moses is leading the Israelites. He hits his staff at the Red Sea, and the sea rises up and splits open. It's, I mean, how do you explain that? You can only explain it. It's God. And so, and then the Israelites walk through the Red Sea, and they had the first, Aquarium experience. 
Because in the movie, as they're walking through, they can see all the fish, like, swimming and everything. And it's like, wow. It's like just like being at an aquarium, <laughs> minus the glass. And so they walk through. And so this is one of the main miracles that really define Moses and the Exodus, the Red Sea, splitting of the seas. And so they get to the River Jordan. And same thing happens. But it's not an ocean. It's a river. And so if you know what a, how a river works, there's a source where the water flows from one source to another. And so what does God do? He comes to allow them to cross. And he, I guess, stops the water on one side. And so it's like a one-sided aquarium viewing. And the other side kind of dries up. And then they walk through and cross the River Jordan. And I imagine for the people of Israel, as they're about to embark on this adventure journey, they're not sure. They're like, oh, I, I wonder, are, are we sure? Did, did Joshua hear right? Are we really about to do this and fulfill what Moses could not and, and receive all this, pro, the, this promised land and, and win all these battles? Is that really going to happen? Is, is this really a God thing? And I imagine at that point when they cross the river, they're like, I think this is a God thing, right? And so this, this river miracle, it was for the people. It was for the people to know that God is with them. But we see it wasn't only for the people. It wasn't just for the Israelites. It was also for everyone else. It was also for the enemies to know that God is with the Israelites. We see at the beginning of chapter 5, it says that the Canaanites heard of the miracle of crossing the Jordan River and their courage was drained out of them. Can you blame them? It's like, oh crap. This is what's coming. How do we fight this? The crossing wasn't just for the people. It was for everyone to know that who God was with. And then something really interesting happens. After they cross the River Jordan, and as they're approaching Jericho, God instructs them, all the soldiers, all the people there, that they are to be circumcised. And then celebrate Passover. So it's kind of an interesting battle strategy, right? Before you go into battle... Everyone is going to have mass surgery, and then you're going to celebrate. It's not exactly the right attitude and prep for a battle. It's kind of peculiar. And then after that, that's where we get back to our, the verse we just read. So Joshua 5, at verse 13, it says, And then this... While Joshua was there near Jericho, he looked up and saw right in front of him a man standing, holding his drawn sword. So who is this man? Who is this guy who shows up? Some people think because he has a sword, so obviously he's a warrior. And also, he mentions that he's the commander of God's army, that perhaps This could be Michael, the archangel Michael, who is leading, as a warrior, God's army. However, 
in this verse, it does say it is a man standing, not an angel, number one. And number two, Paul is very clear in Colossians that we are not to worship angels. And yet Joshua responds to this man by falling down on his face to worship. So my feeling is it's probably not an archangel. And so many scholars believe that this is actually Jesus. It's actually a pre-incarnate Jesus. Why? Why do we think that? It's because of the instruction that this commander gives at the end of this verse. And he, 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 he asks Joshua to take off his sandals. Does that sound familiar? Who else was asked to take off their sandals? Wow, good. Moses, that's right. You can look at their verses. In Joshua 5, 15, it says, God's army commander ordered Joshua, take your sandals off your face. The place you're standing is holy. And then in Exodus with Moses, when Moses encounters the burning bush, and as he approaches, it says, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. So similar, the instruction, the speech. And so many of the scholars will say, this is probably Jesus. It's probably God. So I'm just going to go with that. Not 100% sure, but I'm just going to go with it. If it's an angel, right, regardless, really the meaning of this verse, it's the same meaning. But I'm just going to go with Jesus. And then in Joshua 5, verse 13 to 14, As we continue on, it says that Joshua stepped up to him and said, Whose side are you on, ours or our enemies? He said, Neither. I'm commander of God's army. I've just arrived. You know, given that Joshua, you know, he heard from the Lord and he was instructed to lead his people to Jericho. They've crossed the River Jordan. The Israelites are God's chosen people. They've been circumcised. They're celebrated Passover to remember everything that God did for them. You think when Joshua said, whose side are you on? Our side or the enemy's side? You think Jesus would have said, of course I'm your side. Of course. Right? But that's not what he said. Instead, he said, I'm not on either of your sides. Basically, I'm on God's side. And I think sometimes we just lose sight. We don't have God's perspective. This is really not about Israel's battle or the Canaanites' battle. This is God's battle. This is God's battle. It's much bigger than us, much bigger than we think. His plans, everything, much bigger. And we have to change our perspective. This is God's battle. God's ways and plans are much bigger. What do you think the Canaanites' plans were? What was their agenda? Their agenda was to destroy the Israelites. And as they see the Israelites approaching, they're going to defend themselves, fortify themselves in their base, and hold on to their land. That's their plan. 
What's the Israelites' plan? The Israelites' plan is to, I guess, fight these battles and to take back the land that they were promised. That's probably the very extent of their plan. But we know in God's plan, there's much more. Because after the Israelites received the promised land, is that the end of the Bible? It's, it's like we're still at the beginning. There's so much more that God still has to reveal about himself. So much more to reveal in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit. God's plans are so much bigger. He's aware of the plans that Joshua and the Israelites have, but it's incomplete. If he just joined that plan, it's not enough. And so God's plans, God's battle is so much bigger. And so if you look at, um, going back, when I mentioned the circumcision and Passover, it might seem really foolish, right? Again, right before the battle. Why would you do that? It'd be like right before you, you play in the NBA finals or the World Cup finals, you get circumcised. How will that affect your performance? You barely run. Would not suggest that. And yet that's what God's people did. You know why? Because this is God's battle. He has a different standard. And what's more important than just this battle, it was for the people to know who he is. He wanted the Israelites to know who they are. So they were circumcised. So they were marked both inside and out. They celebrated Passover so that they would remember who God is and remember everything he's done, his faithfulness and the miracles and the grace and the rescue. That's more important to God, the revelation of who he is, than the battle. And so the battle part, that's easy because really, again, it's God's battle. Now here's the good news. If this is God's battle, God doesn't lose. Amen? If this is God's battle, God is always ready and he's equipped and he knows exactly what he's doing. And we see this when the man approaches. It says he had a sword unsheathed, a sword unsheathed, ready. He was ready for the battle. He didn't come with a, I don't know, a harp. Right? Because it was not, that was not what was to be equipped with. It was battle time. God doesn't lose. God is equipped. But, but, if this is God's battle, victory only comes through God. If this is God's battle, it only comes through God. And so I know for many of us, as God's children, God has a plan. He has a plan for you. Sometimes it requires not the same type of battle, but there is some battling in the spiritual, in the physical. He has a plan. And in order for those plans to be fulfilled, it cannot be accomplished by you. It can only be accomplished by
by God. And I think so often we receive God's plan. It's like God, God's plans can only be fulfilled by Him because they're so big. They're beyond just our ability. And we receive those plans and then we run with it. We are in charge of fulfilling those plans. We make it happen. We fight the battles with our hands and feet. We do it in our own strength. And it's no wonder, oftentimes, we can't do it, if not always, actually. And I've seen it time and time again. And people get so discouraged. They say, God told me to go on to do this, to start this. And they're like, I fasted, I prayed, I got confirmation. I was so sure that God told me to do this. And then I say, and then they say, and now it didn't work out. And I go, okay, well, how did God instruct you and guide you? How were you dependent on him every step of the way? And they go, they look confused. Huh? They're like, I just worked my butt off. I just toiled and suffered and put so much time and effort and sacrifice to do it. And so see the disconnect? You're, you're trying to accomplish an impossible task. This is a God battle, God plan, and you're trying to accomplish it in your own strength. So if this is God's battle, if, if you're walking in God's plans, you've got to make sure that you're on God's side, that he's the one in charge, that he's the one in control. And so when Joshua asked this man, whose side are you on, our side or the enemy's side, the commander replied, neither. Didn't really answer the question exactly. But by saying neither and basically saying, I'm on my side, He's kind of implicitly asking Joshua, so whose side are you on? Right? Whose side are you on? Who's in charge of the Israelites, this army? Who's in charge of you? Who is leading who? And this is Joshua's response. In Joshua 5, 14, it says, Joshua fell face to the ground and worshiped. He asked, what orders does my master have for his servants? So I have three simple takeaways from this verse on how Joshua responded to express that he's on God's side, that God was in charge. And hopefully these three points resonate with you, that you could respond in the same fashion. So number one, how did he respond? Number one, he worshiped. It says, Joshua fell face to the ground and worshiped. He didn't even reply, yes, I'm on your side. He just fell and worshiped. His first response was to worship. That didn't have to be his response. His response could be, oh, you're the commander of God's army? Great. I have some prayer requests. Number one, it would be great if maybe we could, as an army, get some power-ups Right? Like double our strength, double our agility, double our speed, double our courage. That would be really helpful. Or even better, just like in the Exodus, why don't you send a few plagues out? Just, just enough to like weaken them. Could you do that? How often is it that when we go through challenges and struggles, 
we respond with prayer requests instead of worship. I want to say there's nothing wrong with prayer requests. We, we encourage prayer requests. But what I'm saying is that, that can't be all. It can't be all. Even as I was prepping the sermon this week, you know, there was a part of me I just wanted to just start. And I did do that. I just start, started doing research and like trying to get lots of information and make things interesting. And then at some point, I'm like, I got to worship. I got to start with the source. My objective isn't just to do a good job. It, it's, it's, I'm doing God's will. So I got to just, I just got to worship. Even prepping house church every week. There's a part of us, let's just get into discussing what are we going to do? What are we going to share? But God has start. We're like, hey, let, and I even told as I was prepping this message, oh yeah, Janie, uh, for house church this week when we prep, uh, we just got to worship first, right? We, and then, of course, pray and, and discuss, but we got to start with worship. Joshua recognized that if God is in charge, then this is God's battle. And so, if this is God's battle, then he could just fall on his knees and worship. I imagine he was feeling all this mounting pressure to be the next Moses, to accomplish what Moses could not, to lead these people into a battle that is going to give them and fulfill the promise of receiving the promised land. So much pressure. And I imagine as he fell on the floor to worship, all that pressure just melted away. Because God was in charge. This is his battle. Worship is a reflection of our trust in Jesus. And that's why Sunday, Sabbath, it's so special. It's so special. And that's why God says, keep this day holy. You are to rest. I know, we struggle. We don't want to rest. We want to get ahead. And so there is a temptation for us. We will, like, today, if you decide to work, you get to make more money. You're more prepared for this week. You get more ahead. You get to, I don't know, maybe impress your boss, your colleagues, that you're so capable to do more. I don't know, do some online stock exchange trading. All these things. And even with our children. I know there's a desire. Oh, let's enroll them. Let's put them in classes uh, so that they'll be uh, more ready and, and competitive. Because if they fall behind, what do we do? What do we do? And that's the point of worship and rest. It expresses our trust in God. And say, yes, I could do more. I could, I could do more in my own strength with myself, with my children. But God, I trust you. I trust that you're going to provide and take care of me. I trust that you're going to take care of my children. You're a far better parent than I am. You're a far better teacher than any teacher. You're a far better coach than any of these coaches or programs I'm enrolling them in. And so on Sunday, we're going to rest and worship. It's a reflection of our trust in Jesus. And so if God's in charge, our first response 
is to worship. Number two, number two, our response if God is in charge is obedience. Joshua asked, what are your orders? If this is God's battle, there's only one thing that is required of us. It's obedience. To inherit the land, Israelites, the Israelites just had to obey. It required full obedience. And we saw after chapter 5, which we just went through, in chapter 6, God gives the instructions to Joshua. And I'll just read it. These were the instructions. You shall march around the city, Jericho, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of rams, horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. These were God's instructions. Again, terrible battle strategy. For six days, you basically tire yourself out by marching around Jericho. And the enemy knows exactly where you are. And then on the seventh day, you march around six times, so really tie yourself out. And then after the seventh time, you yell out so the enemy knows exactly where you are. Terrible battle strategy. But this is God's battle. And all they had to do was obey. And so they did it. Good for the Israelites in their first battle that they obeyed. And the result is exactly what, 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 what God said would happen. The walls came crumbling down. Now, what happens if there's partial obedience? Partial obedience is compromise. Let me say, partial obedience is disobedience. During the battle for Jericho, there was a man, uh, his name was Achan. He was one of the Israelites who fought alongside Joshua And he decided after the battle has been won, the walls came down and they went in. God has specifically instructed that you're not to take any spoils for yourself. And he did that. He thought, oh, what's the big deal? The battle is won. Like, it's such a, I'm just being a good steward. I don't know. And he took it for himself and he buried it so no one would know. And then what happened? So that was that partial disobedience. And so following that magnificent, magnificent battle, their following battle was at a city called Ai. And he sent spies there. And the spies surveyed Ai. And they're like, easy, easy pickings. So easy. Let's not even send all our people. Let's just send a few thousand people and we'll take care of it. God was no longer in charge of this battle. Man was in charge of this battle. What was the result? They lost. Partial disobedience. The only way you can win in God's battle is God needs to be in it. And it requires our full obedience. The book of Judges, you see this story reoccurring throughout the book. 
It's reoccurring that you see what happens when the Israelites disobey. They obey when there's a need. God, save us. They're about to be conquered by the Philistines. God saves us, and God is so gracious. He comes, he saves them, and then they're comfortable, and they go back to doing what they want, however they want. They compromise, and they're walking in disobedience. And then destruction comes to them. They take charge of their own lives and do what they want. And there's two times in my life that kind of really stand out where I disobeyed and I took charge. I know it doesn't seem like very much, but I think it's because I I came to the Lord when I was 24 years old. So maybe not as many opportunities (laughs) to disobey, but there's two times. The first time was after after I became a Christian, uh, my first Christian girlfriend. And when we started, I guess, what do you call it? Not even dating, but when we kind of shared that we had interest in each other, we're such good Christians, and we're like, let's pray about it. Let's pray about it. And so we got together, we prayed about it, and I heard from the Lord, no. Don't do it. There was just this like sense of uneasiness in me. I was like, don't do it. And I shared with uh, this sister who I had interest in, and she was like, yes, I, felt, I feel the same way. And so you know, you know what we did? We went through with it. <laughs> we started dating. I know. And um, why did I do that? It's because simply it's just what I wanted, right? It's like, oh, don't we do that? It's kind of like we prayed to the Lord. We asked for an answer, and then he answers. And if it's not what we want, we'll just do what we want. Kind of like, what's the point? And so I did what I wanted. And all to say, it ended not well. I got dumped. And in this breakup, I was really struggling. It was like... It was like someone punched me in the stomach. And I just, all so emotional, and I was going crazy. And it was so difficult. And so from this, the silver lining is, I learned my lesson. The next relationship I got into, I prayed. And this time I'm like, God, I don't want to make the same, same mistake. If it's a no, that's fine. But if it's a yes, then great. And then I receive God's blessing to move forward. And so I dated, and eventually she became my wife. Woo! <laughs> and so in this circumstance with relationship, I learned my lesson. But not with everything, because th- it happened again where I heard from the Lord. And this was, re- this was in regards to a, a hiring a helper. And so at that time, we had so many helpers uh, that we interviewed, and it was like, we just really needed one. I was getting desperate, and we interviewed one helper. She seemed awesome, so capable, bubbly, a great communicator. And so me and my wife, we prayed, and we heard our say, I mean, I wish 
basically, whenever we pray together, it ends up being my wife saying, what did you hear? And then I share, and what did you hear? Oh, nothing really. And then we just go with what I heard. So in this case, she said, what did you hear? And I, I heard a no. I had that sense of uneasiness again. And I said, oh, I think it's fine. <laughs> Why did I do that? Again, I think, I guess in this year, I was feeling desperate. Again, I pray, and in this instance, I heard a no, and I'm hoping maybe I heard wrong. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You pray to God, God, speak to me. He speaks, and you're like, maybe I heard wrong <laughs> after you get the answer. And so about, like, we went through the application process, and then basically right before she came, when everything's paid for, everything's processed, I tell my wife, I say, hey, just so you know, I might have gotten a no. And she's like, what? Why did you say so? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I just didn't want to keep interviewing. I was burnt out from, inter- from interviewing. And so all to say, we received this helper, and um, I'm not going into details, but it was a bad experience. We were traumatized. It took, actually, time afterwards for us to, like, recover. I think we, we needed inner healing for some of the things we experienced. And so all to say, obey. Obey. I've learned my lesson in this. And now I just simply obey. You know, One of the ways you get wisdom is learning from your mistakes. I have a lot of wisdom. I've learned so much from my mistakes. But you know what wasn't very wise of me? Is the way you go about gaining that wisdom. Another way of gaining wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes. So learn from my mistakes. Learn from reading the Bible. Learn the Israelites' Mistakes of compromising, partial disobedience. Just obey. That's the only way God's plans can be fulfilled through our obedience. There's a saying, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. And so if he is Lord We can't walk in compromise and partial disobedience. If God's in charge, if the Holy Spirit has you, then our response is obedience. Number three, the last one, our response to God being in charge is humility. Joshua responds by saying, what orders does my master have for his servants? Master, God, ourselves, servant. We have to remember we are not equals. When we're talking about humility, it's understanding who God is and who we are. God is perfect. God is holy. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And we are sinners in need of a Savior. Joshua humbles himself by recognizing his status and God's status. God is the master. He is the servant. And instead of expressing his needs, he asks, God, what are your needs? Isn't that how a servant is supposed to be? 
What are your needs? And so even in EG, one of the big mind-blowing moments, revelations, is oftentimes we, we ask, God, what is your will for my life? It's so about us. Like the world revolves around us. A better question is, God, what are your plans? And how can I join them? And that's exactly what Joshua asked. What are your needs? What do you need of me? And sometimes it might seem like we're the master and God is the servant. Of course, we would never say that. We're smart enough to not say, yes, I'm the master and God is here to serve me. But the relationship can seem like that. Every time we have a need, that's when we ask for God to come and provide for us. And someone looking in who's not a Christian, I I mean, you know, and they're just watching how you interact, it might seem like you're the master, and every time you have a need of provision, desire, anything, you just kind of pick up, I guess you do this, but you pick up that magic lamp, you rub it, and then out comes God. And you say, I would like this. And then he fulfills your wishes. If that's you, let the Holy Spirit just convict you. Convict you, not condemn you. Because we're all like that. I'm like that. That's my natural desire as well. And we see this in the Israelites. That's why it's reoccurring. They have a need. God, help me. And God is so gracious, he does. He's so gracious, so good. And then when he's not needed, he's pushed to the side. They do what they want, whenever they want. They take charge of their lives. And this type of relationship, it displeased God. And I want to say, if this is the type of relationship you have with God, he loves you. You're so important to him. He wants to have a relationship. But this type of relationship is not pleasing. This one-sided relationship where where God is just like an ATM. When we need something, Mm, that's it. So I want to invite the worship team up. We need to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. God is in charge. He is God. We are not. He is the master. We are the servants. And just to share, um, I went through this very recently as well. And that's why. Don't let this condemn you. In fact, be inspired that there could be something more in your relationship with God. That's so liberating when you say, oh, this is God's battle. God, you're in charge. And so as you know, or maybe you haven't been around to hear this, but Pastor Nate and Monica, they're leaving to plant a church in Korea, probably about mid-year. And so this has been in the talks uh, kind of for a while, and, you know, they've been praying, like, probably since 
late last year, early this year, maybe even late last year, uh, they've been praying about it. And so I'm aware of this. And then, of course, it's like, who, when he leaves, who is going to take on his role as executive pastor? And never for a minute did I covet that role or desire that role because I thought, surely, like, impossible. I'm already the house church pastor. It requires so much work and time, and I'm not done with the house churches. I don't want to neglect them. At least that was my reasoning. And so I I came up, I was trying to work things. I started talking to different people who might be potential candidates, and I talked to P. Sam about, hey, what do you think about this and that? And he seemed like, oh, like, good ideas, Kenny. Well, at least he didn't say no. He kind of just said, hmm, hmm. That's P. Sam's like, okay, I'm, I'm listening. That's a great idea. And then he'll start have conversations with other people. His no is basically could be a yes or maybe. And so I was like, great. God, like this area has been taken care of. And so finally, Pastor Nate and Mon, they pray and they decided we're going to Korea. They're going to do this. They're going to take this step of faith step into God's plans to plant this church. And then Pastor Sam talks to me and says, oh, so Kenny, you're going to be the executive pastor. I'm like, what? (laughs) I did not want this role. Who wants more responsibility, more work, less time, just more needs of you. That was not me. I know. So selfish. So self-centered. But I'm just saying, that's, that's what I was going through. And I was really struggling with it. I felt overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with even like, couldn't even imagine how these things, this could work. In fact, I was pretty sure in my own planning and my own, I guess, like forecasting, it wasn't going to work. How is it going to work? I'm going to become, if I'm the executive pastor and house church pastor, what's going to happen? Whichever is more important and pressing, I'm going to do that and neglect the other. In other words, I'm probably going to neglect the house church leaders, and I did not want to do that. I wanted to still give them the support they needed. And I was just like, no, this isn't going to work. God, provide. Change Pastor Sam's mind. And of course, at some point, after your vent and complain and make your prayer requests, there's a moment, hopefully you guys get there, is you're kind of open to the Holy Spirit and you say, God, what do you want? And that's when God spoke to me. He said, why are you serving? Why are you even the house church pastor? And I said, oh, it's for you, Lord. I'm doing this to serve you. And he said, well, if you become the executive pastor, if this is what the church needs right now, and it's what Pastor Sam needs of you, what the body needs, are you willing to serve me in this way? And of course I said, yes. I said, yes. 
And it wasn't a hard yes because I realized this is not my thing of taking on my more work and responsibility. This was a God thing. And he's asking me to just join in in his work. In fact, in that moment when I said yes, I felt so relieved and liberated. So I can say, I'm looking forward to serving you all. <laughs> okay. And I can tell you, God is faithful. Just as I shared, when we have a, a shift in our mindset that this is God's battle, that we're willing to serve and obey, that He is the master, we are the servant, He provides a way. We can't do it in our own strength. And so God has provided a way. Things are going to be different. Because I was thinking of, you know, how Nate did things and how I did things. But God's provided a way. He's provided new cluster leaders for house churches. Because that was one of my concerns for house church. We didn't have people to support the house church leaders. But now we have new, more cluster leaders. And even for the staff as exec, we have new people stepping up and joining the staff as well. And so all those pieces that are, I'm concerned with, God took care of. This is God's battle. And so let me ask you, again, just the same question that Joshua was asked. Whose side are you on? Does the Holy Spirit have you? Who's in charge of your life? And I'm going to do an altar call in a moment. And if the message is stirring in you, then I encourage you to come up to respond. Just as Joshua responded, he fell on his face to worship. He asked God what he wanted. It wasn't about his needs, it was about God's needs. And he recognized, he humbled himself by declaring that you're the master, I'm the servant. So I encourage you, if it's touching you to respond. And I know maybe just like in the video in the beginning of the service, maybe you're not ready. But again, not making a choice is also a choice. So I hope and encourage you to just, just come up, to lay those things down. And maybe you're still not, how should I say? Maybe You've decided, I'm going to do this. But you're still wrestling. It's still hard. That's okay. Because even in this, you're doing it with God. Let, the, let God minister to you. So if that's you, uh, I just invite you to come to the altar right now in response. Who's in charge? Go ahead, Matt. Jesus Lover of my soul, all-consuming fires in your gaze. Jesus, I want you to know, I will follow you all my days. No one else in history is love. Thank you.
those who came to the altar be strong and courageous be strong and courageous do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go he is with you always wherever you go so be strong and courageous Let's rise to our feet. Those at the altar, please stay where you are. Everyone else, we're going to just rise to our feet to worship. And if these are your friends, people you care for, I invite you to come and pray and minister to them. Share a word of encouragement. It's all about 
Yes, Jesus, it's all about you. And at times, we lose our direction. We get so fixated on our circumstances, the decisions and choices that we need to make. And we forget it's about you. You're in control. You have a plan. We're not fighting this battle on our own, in our own strength. And so, Lord, we just want to respond to you by falling on our face in worship, that we would humble ourselves instead of just seeking after our needs and our desires and having you fulfill us. You as the master, we as the servant, we would want to fulfill and help you, Lord. Lord, what are your needs? What are your plans? What do you want of us? And the reason we can lay all those things down, Lord, because we trust you. We trust you. Your ways are so much better. The stress, the burdens that we've been holding on, we don't want to hold on anymore. And so we just surrender them. We offer it to you, Lord Jesus. You say your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You invite us to be yoked to you not to be yoked on our own and do things in our own strength, but we are to be yoked to you. That is your invitation. And so, yes, teach us, guide us. Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us? Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom, from this day forward. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining us.